feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. Today on the Conquer Local podcast, we got a special treat for you. I've been teasing this over the last few months. Mark Roberge will be joining us today. Mark's the former CRO of HubSpot for nine years from their infancy. And, uh, you know, listen, this guy is a revenue juggernaut, and we are excited to have him on the podcast. He's also the senior lecturer at Harvard. You probably have saw him on YouTube or read his book, and... Uh, I also found out he's on the board of over 20 different companies as he's now leading an investment fund. We're so ecstatic to have Mark joining us. He's going to be digging deeper into his book on the sales acceleration formulas. And we're going to go through those four formulas that he mentions in the book in detail. I want to be honest with you. Producer Colleen and I decided we wanted Mark on the podcast. And what I did was I just reached out to him on LinkedIn. So if you're, if you're ever questioning the power of LinkedIn and making a connection, he got right back to me and said, I'd love to be on the podcast. Now, unfortunately, because my travel schedule is unbelievable, something that I really need to fix in my New Year's resolutions next year, we had to record the call with Mark on the road. He's super busy as well. So my apologies if the sound levels aren't quite as magnificent as when we record with Mr. T-Bone in the sound lounge, but we wanted to make sure that we got Mark Roberge on the show. We'll, we'll reach out to him and get him back in the future as well. Mr. Mark Roberge, coming up next on the Conquer Local Podcast. Well, I'm very excited to bring on Mark Roberge, the former CRO of HubSpot and uh, lecturer at Harvard and author of the Sales Acceleration Formula. And, you know, when I'm talking to people in SaaS sales, you know, a lot of them hold up this bookmark as, as the Bible. And we're excited to have you on the, on the show to talk about some of the things that you've, you've brought forward inside the Sales Acceleration Formula. So thanks for joining me today. Yeah, I mean, thank you for those kind words, George. Great, uh, great to be here. You know, so your, your path into sales when you arrived at HubSpot, and you know, HubSpot's uh, success has been well documented. Um, I, I noticed when I was reading through the book, you didn't have experience in sales when you arrived at HubSpot. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was uh, an engineer by training, started my career coding, um, uh, studied at MIT. So, you know, the first decade of my career was, was littered with a very quant process-oriented viewpoint. Um, and then, you know, through the entrepreneur ecosystem, found myself in sales. It's, it's interesting, you know, I started in sales 30 years ago, career salesperson, and I, I say a lot when I'm working with sales teams that you have to take a more metrics-driven approach. I, I find myself sometimes almost more of a chemist than I am as a, as a sales leader, and, and it's interesting when I look at these formulas that you've developed. We've got the sales hiring formula, the sales training formula, the sales management formula, and the demand gen formula. Um, bringing that experience as an engineer and, uh, you know, the, the data-driven approach is, is really to the, to the root of these. Can, can we talk a little bit about each one of these? And I'd like to start with the sales hiring formula because I, I was really interested in the way that you, you studied the data and, and you really looked at what makes up an ideal salesperson um, in, in, the, uh, in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to take a step back, um, I, was, I was a bit lucky 
um, to have stumbled into sales at the time I did. Um, and, and you, you know, George, you've had a long, long career here. You, you can appreciate both sides of the turning point that's happened in the last decade or even more due to the rise of the internet, cloud, inside sales. You know, prior to that, you know, all these sales teams were outside in the field. CRM adoption was abysmal, and the access to any sort of sales data was next to none. And then as, as the Internet uh, became, you know, more adopted, we moved on to cloud co computing and cloud software to SaaS, and we started moving a lot of these teams inside. These teams were just dependent on the CRM to run their day. And all of a sudden we shifted from a world where we had no data to a world where we had so much data we didn't know what to do with it. And now, like, the big thing is we're over, over data analyzing <laughs> our businesses. <laughs> so it's kind of – it's interesting, these shifts, but – at the time when I entered in 06, um, I didn't know this, but the, the world of sales and sales leadership was ripe for a new viewpoint that was very data-driven. And so, yeah, the, the machine that I set out to build was hire the same successful salesperson, train them in the same, uh, against the same process, coach them in a predictable way against that process, and feed them with the same quantity and quality of demand. And that's the, that's the machine that I envisioned and tried to, 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 found, to make a foundation for each one of those components of the machine in a, in a very quantitative manner. And so starting with the hiring, um, you know, there is a lot of, I just know a good salesperson when I see one out there. And, you know, there's a lot of research that so, says we suck at hiring. I mean, the average, the average turnover in sales annually is 40%. Um, you know, research shows that the interview – in any sort of function has very little impact. And so, and yet this is a huge turning point for an organization. I mean, if you go out and hire 40 reps in a year and get it right half the time versus 90% of the time, that's the difference between a unicorn and bankruptcy, right? So it's just like that one thing is so critical. So I just took a step back and as I looked across various organizations, I realized that there was no universal um, answer to a great salesperson. I mean, there are salespeople that sell custom suits. There are salespeople that sell jets. Uh, the ideal salesperson for those two contexts is very different. And then all these nuances in between. So I started to really reflect on what our context was, which is basically what was the product we were selling to which market and what was our stage of the business. Those are the drivers of my context. And based on that context, what are the five or ten criteria that I thought would correlate in our environment? And I was very disciplined around documenting and defining each one of those criteria, documenting and defining what a low, medium, and high score, like what a three versus a five versus a seven versus a ten might sound like, and then went out and just executed that hiring approach. And it was interesting after the first year having hired eight reps to – see some of them fail and ask why and what did I miss back in the scoring model and iterate it. And also to see a bunch of them succeed and ask why and challenge myself as to whether or not I truly uncovered that in the interview and iterated accordingly. And it wasn't long, you know, 30, 40 hires because we're going fast that I could actually run a, a statistical correlation or regression analysis of my quantified observations at the interview with, long-term success. I mean, that's the great thing about sales is success and failure is quantifiable. And so let's leverage that in the formula. 
Well, I think that it's, impo- it's important that our listeners understand that this wasn't something that happened over a short period of time. That the feeling I got from from reading the book and, and watching other presentations that you've done is that iteration w- continued to be ongoing over a long period of time. And it still is. You know, it changes. I mean, as we expand to Europe and Asia, as we introduce new products, as the landscape changes because it goes from an what is this category to a very competitive category. All these things cause the ideal hiring profile to shift. And so we, you know, I would look at it every quarter and I still do as a advisor and board member and investor to many companies. This is just an ongoing flywheel function that we need to understand. Um, so. Well, we, you know, there's so much talk in, in SAS around, you know, culture and, and having the right culture. Um, it, it was interesting in when I was reading the book that you talked about that culture fit and, and finding, you know, not just great salespeople, but great salespeople that would fit with inside the culture you were building. Yeah. So culture, I find, I still scratch my head on culture. It's a very, it's a big opportunity and dangerous at the same time. Cause I think sometimes we interpret culture like, will this person fit in? Will I grab a beer with them? And that causes us to, create some of the diversity issues we have across different industries, especially tech, because we tend to hire people that are like us. Um, And it also causes us to hire friendly, charismatic people, as opposed to people who actually would really be good at the task at hand. Um, So for me, culture meant um, we were doing something pretty new at the time. Inside sales was still relatively new. The concept of marketing generating lead was very new. The discipline process that we're taking people through is pretty new. And so I, instead of going out and finding people that have been there, done that, and just put them in the funnel, which actually didn't exist, I wanted a culture of highly coachable people and a culture of coachable coaching excellence. So if I could, if I could prove a process that will work against our lead flow, if I can enable a frontline management team to be exceptional coaches, um, and if I can hire coachable people, that again is a mini machine that works beautifully. So that, that was a big part of the culture that, that is, you know, separate from, will I grab a beer with this person and what right. you're trying and, to die. Well, I, I appreciate you taking my lead on that because I think it leads into the fact that you're hiring is the first step and you have these, these things that you're looking for and you iterated and you found out. And now we move into the training portion and getting them up to speed and then the coaching portion of it. So let's talk about those two formulas. Yeah. So with training, when I went out and just, you know, asked 25 VPs of sales about their training program, you know, at the beginning of HubSpot, most of what I found was what I call the ride along. You know, most of them said, yeah, you know, new person, hey, Bob, welcome to the company. You remember Susan from the interview process. She's our best rep. Your training is going to be sit, you know, ride with her for 60 days or sit next to her for 60 days. And that just rubbed me the wrong way because um, as I continue to grow the team and looked at my reps, um, you know, some of the best reps, they all have kind of unique superpowers. I mean, you, you hire them around certain elements, but there are some who are just amazing at activity, mediocre at, at you know, the demo, and some are amazing at rapport building and mediocre at the discovery call. But if they lean into their strength, they find a way to win. Um, and when you rely on a ride along, you don't give them the opportunity to 
lean into those strengths. And furthermore, you know, you run the risk of a lot of bad habits being passed around and run the risk that this person, this top seller that you're having them ride next to, they may not be a very good coach. <laughs> and a lot of times they're not. There's a lot of research that shows most teams promote their best seller to manager and not a lot, you know, that top seller doesn't necessarily correlate with top manager. Um, so, so there's a lot of, of weaknesses there. So I just sat back and tried to create a process around, you know, when you get a lead, you know, how do you prospect against it? What's a discovery call guide look like? What's a tailored pitch look like? And really customize all those attributes to our system. And most importantly, one thing that we leaned into heavily is most of the training was about the buyer and not the product. And I ask a lot of entrepreneurs, I ask a lot of business owners about their sales training, and they, they admit that most of their training is about the product. And that just, that just almost trains our sellers to talk a lot about the product, which is show up and throw up, and it's statistically proven to not really work exceptionally well. And so we, if you sit back and ask how, how much of our training is about our buyer and get our seller to appreciate our buyer's job, that's when lots of light bulbs go off. So we had all of our sellers create a blog, social media presence, landing pages, lead nurturing campaigns, email campaigns, set up a CRM system, rank in Google, using our product just like our buyers will so they can experience everything and all the worries and all the tactics that our buyer would have to go through as they bought the product. Yeah, I like to say, you know, fall in love with your, with your customers' problems and not in love with your product. Really understand, exactly. you know, like, where the customer's well, coming from. So, do, well, you know, it's, inter it's interesting that, um, you know, the, the ride along and the, you know, four-legged call, you know, I've done lots of them over the years. And the, the listeners to, to this podcast are all about selling in local markets where, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, we believe in local economies. I think that uh, it's the lifeblood of, of the economies of, of entire countries if you've got a really good, strong local business ecosystem. So what, what I like about some of these things you're talking about is the formulas. We, you talk a lot about inside sales, but these formulas work even if you're face-to-face -face with the customer as well. Now, what, what about the, when it comes to the, the coachability of these uh, salespeople and the type of person that you put into that coaching role? I'd love to get some of your insights on, on that. Yeah, so well said about the applicability. This is not unique to inside. You know, I've, I've worked with companies of all sizes and industries, inside and outside, through channel, et cetera. Um, you, you see more resistance from the old school sales, field salespeople, uh, but the newer school field salespeople are used to like great tech adoption. You get access to data and they're used to this stuff. You know, on the coachability front, first and foremost, uncovering it, um, I would basically role play with them in the interview. I have never seen a sales context where you shouldn't be role playing as part of your interview. And I'll role play right from the opening um, phone screen, role played on our product. Um, have them role play for five or 10 minutes, let them give feedback, give them feedback, both positive and need for improvement and have them redo it. And then um, if I'm going to the next level, I'm going to give them my sales playbook and I'm going to tell them we're going to role play again. And so like part of, part of the thread that I'm doing through the interview process is I'm actually coaching them and I'm observing how they, how they absorb the coaching and I'm observing how they apply the coaching. Because yeah, if I go through two or three levels or even a 20-minute meeting and I can actually move the needle on them, that's, that's a pretty exciting salesperson. 
And then, and then now I've got to enable my, my managers and enforce them to do the coaching. And so what I would do is when on the first day of every month, I would meet with my managers and go through each rep and have my manager tell me what's the skill you're coaching them on, um, how are you going to do it, and how are you going to measure success of your coaching. And, you know, those diagnoses was deeply embedded in the, the funnel shape of each rep. Are they struggling on the connect or opportunity or close rate? And I can compare it to everybody else to know where deficiencies exist and root the diagnosis in, the, in that analysis. Break down the revenue motion and say, here's where I believe this rep is, is getting caught up and here's, you know, here's the coaching plan that I'm going to put in place. That's, I think that's what I hear you say. Exactly. I mean, if you don't have the data, most managers will say they just need to make more calls or they just need to hold more meetings. But that's not usually or always the case. And we can, you know, if we start measuring even across four or five stages from outreach to connect to first meeting to opportunity to pipeline to close, whatever your stages might be, we measure them every month, every quarter. Um, we see six-month trends on a given rep, and we also see comparative trends rep to rep. You start to really get a sense of what kind of conversion rates are achievable and where certain reps are falling off. And that quickly leads to a diagnosis in a particular coaching um, approach. Now, obviously, I'm going to coach a rep very differently if their pipeline to close rate is well below the benchmark versus a rep who has a lot of first meetings, but they don't go anywhere. Those are very different coaching outcomes. So out of the gate, we've got this very structured um, hiring process where we're trying to find the right people. I like to say long to hire, long to fire. If you do a good job on the front end of finding the right people, you're not having uncomfortable conversations in, in a short period of time. We uh, then put in, in place a very structured training plan that um, isn't just the ride along or that go sit over there and absorb from the top rep because we all know that sucks. Um, and then we get into the, the coaching which, you know, is an ongoing piece. And, I, and now we get down to the age-old battle of, um, you know, the marketing and sales battle. And, and you, you know, you've talked about having that, getting them great leads because, you know, the reps need leads. Um, so let's, can we talk a little bit about that formula that you came up with? Yeah, I mean, so that's another place that's disrupted quite a bit. You know, when you go back in your career 30 years, I imagine most of your, most of marketing was just like, putting up billboards and running trade show booths. There wasn't a lot of accountability on getting you to your number. And that's just changed so much. I mean, um, you, you know, you, we're, we're bombarded with all the research that shows that by the time a, a buyer speaks to a seller, they're 60% of the way through their, their process, whatever. I mean, bottom line is most buying journeys today start in a domain that's owned by marketing, like the website or email or social and they progress to a domain that's owned by sales. And that's very different than what it used to be. And we don't, we don't appreciate as much. And so stringing these two organizations together, tying them at the hip is, is really critical. And unfortunately, historically, these organizations hate each other. Like marketing thinks that salespeople overpaid spoiled brats, and salespeople think that marketers do arts and crafts all day. And, and most organizations are still running that way, and it's a, it's a huge competitive threat. Mark, can I, I ask one question yeah. on that? Because I've heard you, yeah. you say that quote before. Um, and and you, you said something there that I think 
I, I don't want our listeners to, you know, want to go jump off a building or something when they go, well, we, you know, our marketing department isn't working that way. You said something very poignant there that most organizations still don't get it. Is that, is that did I hear you correctly? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And most organizations see marketing as, you know, un, you know, it's hard to measure the ROI and what they do um, versus like high performance organizations, you know, are, have really quantified the output of marketing almost down to like a revenue figure. Now, attribution can be difficult depending on certain contexts, but it needs to be attempted um, to start to, to understand these things. So that's essentially what we got to, George, was applying the, the SLA framework, service level agreement, which was often used in, um, in sort of uptime and servers, et cetera, to a sales and marketing arrangement where marketing signs up to, if you're going to give me a million dollars a year or 200,000, $250,000 a quarter, this is how many qualified leads will come from that. And this is the contribution, the pipeline that would come from that. And sales has to follow up with them in a professional manner. You know, the, the, the research shows that if a good lead flows through the site, if you follow up with that within five minutes, you're a hundred times more likely to connect and succeed with that lead than if you wait a day and 10 times more, if you even wait an hour or two, I rarely find teams with that level of discipline. Right, so this is a bi-directional change that both organizations are accountable to is you're giving capital to marketing who's signing up to essentially, you know, a, a revenue contribution goal and marketing and, and sales when that happens is going to call those leads quickly, call those leads professionally and call those leads deeply in terms of how often they're going to follow up with them before they give up. Yeah, we, you know, we hear this statement, um, burning leads and boiling the ocean, and there, you know, there's a whole bunch of different phrases that have been used, but, um, you know, sales job is to, we gave you a great lead, now do your sales stuff, and continue to contact that lead and, and discover if there's really going to be a fit. I, I saw a stat the other day that says 50% of all leads pass from marketing to sales are never contacted. It just blew me away when salespeople right. well, are saying, you, hey, give me some leads. Yeah, well, you've got to, that's part of the SLA is, Let's sit down sales and marketing, usually at the leadership level, and maybe product and CEOs involved too. What is a good lead? Like what vertical, what size, what geographic location, what role to some degree counts? Because honestly, like, you know, if, it depends on how expansive your addressable market is. But if you're running a, a good inbound marketing program and generating a, you know, 100 leads a month, 1,000 leads a month, if 30% are, are qualified for your sales team to call, that's actually quite good. You know what I mean? Like when you go out and write, yeah. this, this is where things are flipped. Like when you go out and buy a list of, you know, IT departments, or in your case, your customer's case, like you buy a list of like small businesses in the Chicago area um, that have between, you know, 100 and 1,000 employees and you want the president's, like everyone on that list is qualified. Right. It's just no one, very few are actually interested in what you're talking about. You know, they, they versus yeah. if you, if you get a thousand people to download an ebook about the, the pain that your, your business solves, you know, like it, only 10% might be in your addressable market, but all of them have something going on that made them interested. So you do have to filter up top, but 
you only hold the sales team accountable to call them the ones that are good. So we've got those four different formulas that Mark covers in his book. This, um, and, and I had one last item because I know we're on the clock here and I really appreciate making some time to join us. But I wanted to ask this one question. I saw this great, this great uh, YouTube video of you talking about, you know, if you're trying to figure out where the funnel might be broken, why don't you start with, you know, service and customer success? And, and ask those customers where the challenges are. Could you expand on that a little bit? Because I, I, when I first saw that, I was actually working with a sales organization and I took that approach. I didn't go to the sales floor. I went to the service floor and started there and I was like, holy, here's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's been a lot of my work recently has been as we've moved to cloud and, and we've moved to a world where every customer has a big megaphone called social media, um, you know, customer success has become a lot more important. And we've moved away from these shelfware days of like jamming bad software into customers' accounts, deploying on servers, and they're stuck with you. They can, they can onboard quickly, they can offboard quickly. And so there's been a rise in concern around the leaky bucket of like churn and retention. And what's been surprising is what you saw there, George, is most people's instincts when they have churn issues is to go look at the product or the onboarding process. However, I find that most issues are rooted in sales. They're rooted in a disconnect between what the company built the service for and who the seller's selling, um, and also just um, poor expectation setting by the seller in terms of like what needs to be involved from their end on the buyer's end to make this successful, and appropriate expectations that they should uh, you know, expect from an ROI perspective. So that, that's, you know, and oftentimes the, the best way to solve a customer retention funnel issue is to actually align the compensation plan, the sales compensation plan with long-term retention or the early indicators of long-term retention, even though the seller may not even be involved post-sale. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been a surprising um, pattern I've seen, but I see it consistently throughout the market. Well, we really appreciate making some time, Mark. We've got, you know, some listeners from all over different organizations. And, and I was wondering if you could leave them with one, you know, Mark Robert's nugget that they could take out over the, over the next week when they're out selling or they're out leading sales teams or, you know, they're you know, just in their day to day that, that you think that, that a, a professional salesperson or a sales manager should be considering here as we approach 2020. Yeah, I mean, just keep in mind, selling is about buying, right? So um, we're, we're littered with cut, inappropriate cuts and pace of um, taking, looking at one success story and copying their comp plan and how they sell and, and, and their org structure and, and put it into our, our business. And all the decisions need to start with your buyer and how they think about the problems they have and how they want to solve those problems. And designing the go-to-market, whether you're a frontline seller thinking about the next meeting or whether you're a CRO making all these org structure or compensation decisions. You know, selling's about buying. You've got to root it all on the buyer journey. Mr. Mark Robert is joining us on the Conquer Local podcast this week. Mark, thanks very much for your time. I'll let you get back to it in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, actually one of my favorite cities in the, on the planet. So thanks again for joining us. Yeah, you bet, George. Thank you.
Well, there they were. The four formulas that Mark figured out were needed to build a high-performing sales organization. The sales hiring formula, the sales training formula, the sales management formula, and the demand gen formula. And all of those things have been tweaked for 2020 in mind. And I think that that's the most important piece to it, especially for you career sellers and sales leaders that are out there. We can't keep doing things the same way that we've been doing them. We need to apply data to be able to come up with ways to make this thing better. And you, you know, the most overused word is scalable, but really that's what we're all shooting for here is to find repeatable models that are scalable to help meet the ever-growing goals that we have in running sales organizations. You know, when it comes to hiring, Mark dropped this stat on us, and this was the one thing that really jumped out. The average turnover of sales annually is 40%. And I, I've found this as well. I like to always say that I've hired and fired more people backwards than you folks will ever do forwards. But what I'm saying is, is I've made a lot of mistakes in my hiring strategies. And when I heard, when I read this book a couple of years back, I was like, this is what I'm doing wrong. There is a formulaic way to hire. And I started to apply that. I, I went to a number of different sources to come up with ways that I could start to find that right person because I don't have time to make mistakes. I need to have a higher degree of success in hiring. And that's what Mark talked about in general around each one of these formulas, the hiring formula, the training formula, the management formula, and then the demand gen formula to get those leads. There are ways that we can optimize and we ha can't be afraid to experiment. Producer Colleen has been doing a fantastic job of educating our members of the Conquer Local community on how this thing is really going to get legs and become an organic machine for sharing. And it really is you, the Conquerors, around the world that are listening to the podcast. We've made it even easier for you to join the community by going to conquerlocal.com and you can join the community there. But once inside the community that has been developed on Slack, we're really counting on you to drive topics of conversation. I belong to a number of other Slack communities and what I find is, is we're, when we get to daily active users, where they go there and they ask a question and they get a great response from other people that are conquering, that's when this thing is really going to take off. We appreciate our users. Gilsey, our friend in Iceland from Crankwheel has been on there. We've got uh, Mike G and Prini from G Partners have been sharing some things with us. David Little, the SVP of Enterprise Sales Comporium in South Carolina, just among some of the conquerors that have been leaving either great topics that they have found that have helped them in their career or asking questions and looking for feedback from the various people on the Conquer Local community. It's something that I'm very passionate about and producer Colleen has been doing a great job of making sure that it's top of mind for uh, the people that are a part of the Conquer Local community. So please try it out when you're looking for advice on something that has happened, ask the Conquerors and see what you're getting for uh, feedback from that group. We'll be back again next week right here wherever you listen to podcasts with another edition of the Conquer Local Podcast. My name is George Lee. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast with your host, George Lee. Executive producers are Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Danny Mario. Audio engineering, sound lounge by T-Bone. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Produced by Colleen McGrath. 